everyone. This is Janice Alpert, and welcome to On Purpose, where we talk about how we find our purpose, hopefully stay with it on purpose, and we interview very interesting guests, which we have one today, who'll tell us how they got to where they are um, on their path of finding their purpose. Today, we have Mary Catherine McDonald. She likes to be called MC. Hi, MC. Hi. So nice to be here. I'm good. Thank you. So nice to meet you. Um, most of my listeners know I I really know too much about the person because I like to make it feel like I'm getting to know you just like they are. So um, welcome, though. We do appreciate your your time, et cetera. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself. What like where did you grow up and what was the your family thing. life like? Yeah. Where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Massachusetts. Oh, in Massachusetts. Oh, that's yeah. where my sister lives. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. What yeah. part? Uh, in Boston, right outside of Boston. Oh, yeah, nice. I got my PhD at BU, so I know Boston oh. well. Oh, Boston's a, a fun, a nice a fun city. city. I like Boston. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a good city. Okay, yes. so you grew up in Massachusetts. I grew up in Massachusetts, yep, in Western Mass. And then I um, went and did my master's degree, and I was working on um, psychoanalysis and philosophy. And I was oh. studying, yeah, I was studying uh, grief. And in particular, the grief that comes when you lose a child. That was the, the project that I decided to focus on. Oh, my goodness. I know. Heavy, and heavy I, duty, heavy duty. Yeah. Heavy duty. Yeah, I got the nickname very early on in my academic career of Dr. Sunshine, because as you can tell, like <laughs> I can I understand. I can understand that. I'm a pretty um, sunny person, but I, I study things that are yeah quite dark. Not so sunny. OK, yeah. okay. Um, well, can, let's just go back a little bit. So like when you were growing up was like, what was your family like? Do you have siblings and what's what your parents do? And yes, there's six of us. Um, oh my so, goodness. yep. As you can imagine from my name, Mary Catherine, I'm Irish Catholic. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we had a large Irish Catholic family and um, things were pretty normal. And then when I was 24, when I was in the middle of already writing on grief and mourning, my father died really suddenly. Oh, he wow. Had, mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he had colon cancer that they didn't know about. Um, they didn't have any symptoms. He hadn't gotten his regular, you know, colonoscopy, colonoscopy. You're to when you're 50. Yep. Yeah. Which and my husband just, my husband just had always a fun prep, but necessary. Yep. 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 It's better than the alternative. And yep. <laughs> I, uh, so he, he died really suddenly on Christmas day of 2005 and I was 24 oh. and I was working on grief and morning and then it happened and then and to, where were in, in your sibling like where were you like in terms of are you in the middle or what's i'm number five five of six. Five. Oh, you're almost yeah. the baby okay almost the baby yep yeah. so oh that, uh, so that was so up until that point you you went to you know whatever grammar school high school everything was just kind of whatever teenage stuff at that yep. time were you ever thinking about like i think i'm going to study psychology and grief and like, what was like, were you thinking? Um, no, you know, I had a, um, a boyfriend, my first serious boyfriend when I was really young, um, had cystic fibrosis. And so I was, goodness. So I was interested in grief because I I watched his family go through it. And I I can see why you're called Dr. Sunshine. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, I think I wanted to study that because of that, you know, the experience. And I knew of course that I would have more loss in my life. I wasn't sure none of us ever are of when and right, how. Of course not. Right. And then so, two, two quick years after my father died, my mother died. So I was, oh, um, yeah. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Yes. Yeah. Crazy story. Oh, so, wow. Yes. All right. So, so then in undergraduate, like what was your undergraduate degree? Um, I, I went to college of the Holy cross, which is a tiny liberal arts college in Massachusetts. Um, uh-huh. I actually still teach there now. Um, and oh, wow studied uh philosophy and religious studies and peace mm-hmm. and conflict studies and um 
loved it. it changed my life. Um, wow. you know, the, the well, depth. Oh, yeah, what was it about it that, that you love that you felt changed your life? I think I was a really deep kid always. And I had a lot of, uh, a lot of questions and a lot of interest and curiosity. Mm-hmm. And so it was the first place that I finally felt like, Oh, other people are like me. Mm-hmm. Other, other people are, are, are really overthinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, going I really think people who have deep, Listen, people have deeper souls who I have one as well. Not not at that age, but later. Um, and we're we are we're asking questions like what's the meaning of life and what's my purpose and who am I and what, what kind of impact am I going to make on the world, if any? And not mm-hmm. everybody does. So it's very nice when we find people that are like, oh, they think that way, too. So this was, yeah. was the first time you found a group of people that were kind of on your same path, you know, your pathway of like, oh. There yeah, is absolutely. Big, big questions. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I can't really, it doesn't seem, you can't really do life without this. So I'm just going to do this and then keep adding stuff to it and see what happens. And mm-hmm. then went on to do my master's degree and, and was really interested in grief, like I said. And then I started to bring in psychoanalysis and psychology. Um, and then when I was finished with that, I went into a PhD program at BU and brought, mm-hmm. started to bring in neuroscience. And I was looking at identity and tragedy essentially. And what, in what way does tragedy impact the story that we're telling about ourselves? Mm-hmm. And so that's, yeah, that's when I started studying trauma. Yeah. Oh, so I think, you know, life is so, so funny only in terms of the law of the universe and coincidence. So I, I knew a little bit about your background, but, but very little, and yeah. certainly not about the neuroscience part. And literally the other night I'm talking to a colleague of mine and we're just, she's also a friend. And we were talking about treating kids and we've both been in the business, you know, as therapists and whatnot for 40 years. And mm-hmm. she said, you know, at this stage of life, I won't even see a kid without a neuroscience um, oh, wow. background. Oh, that's great. So, but I'm just like, okay, I guess there must be some message I'm supposed to be giving the world here about neuroscience and that it's got some validity and checking out how we're uh, operating and dealing, you know, with the world. But ju- just going back to like kind of your own, as you're, we're looking for your path. So you weren't, you always knew you wanted to do something with grief that from a young age, from this new boy, from this boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had these other two tragedies so close together with your parents. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. so sorry. So, but was and, and did you think to yourself, I want to try to really, f-, and both were, I'm, all three things I'm sure were traumatic, you know, yes, boyfriend, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, has there been some other things in your life that have been kind of good, like not so traumatic? Oh, lots. Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, we like to hear that too. <laughs> Anything you care to share that you think like, well, this was good that happened? I mean, I think th- those things stood out, but I think the fact that I had the privilege to get all of the education that I did is an incredible what? thing. And the For fact sure. that I had, uh, you know, an a family system that was intact and, you know, uh, yeah, there was tragedy, but the background of it all was, was really beautiful. And love. Well, first yeah. of all, that, and that to me is part of when you think about healing, which you know more about than actually I do, even though I think I know something about healing from trauma is that it's not that the circumstance, which is part of my quote today, which I think is hysterical. So whatever, but it's really not so much that these things aren't going to happen in life because they are, mm-hmm. you know, to all of us, it's ultimately, what do we do with that? Yes. You know, and how yeah. do we, how do we process that? So early on, did you feel like this is something not only, I mean, could you feel on the inside, like, like this would be something I see, I, I see myself doing as a career to help others. Like what kind of feel? like, how did you know? Uh, the, I don't know that I ever did, to be honest with you. I, um, okay. I had such a rambling path and there were so many, um, 
you know, I wanted to get into academia. I really wanted to teach. I thought that that was really important. Mm -hmm. Um, and that I, I kind of felt like called to that, like, this is what I should be doing in some sense. Okay. And that's a really hard path. Um, and you know, getting a PhD is a really hard path. Getting an interdisciplinary PhD is a hard path because people are telling you you'll never find a job. And Mm -hmm. I, I felt every step of the path was, it was one of those things where it didn't reveal until I started moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love I'd love to say that I had this moment where I was like, this is what I'm going to do, but it, it just, it didn't happen. But see, I, I love that because often, and I've said this many times over the last couple of years on this podcast, not to mention in my life and in my practices, yeah. people think that, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out my path when I'm, you know, 18 or 20 or whatever. And then mm-hmm. that's going to be it. And yep. that if that happens, then you are one lucky person, but generally mm-hmm. there are a lot of bumps. And there's a lot of like zigzagging that happens and that 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 doesn't mean we shouldn't continue. It means we have to tolerate it and keep going because we want to ultimately do something in our life that we feel joy from and that we feel healthy, helpful and all the things that you feel what to me when you're on your purpose. So curious when you would get these bumps in the road or oh, and I just want to say this other funny personal anecdote about the Ph.D. So when I turned 40. A while, a long while back, <laughs> I decided that I was going to get my PhD in psychology. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would really, you know, broaden my practice and broaden my marketability. And I was, you know, I was divorced and I thought, well, I'm going to be self-supporting soon. The, you know, mm-hmm. alimony is going to stop. And so this is really going to help. So I remember finding a program and I had two kids at home, two young kids at home. And I remember thinking, I can do this. I'm going to work full time. I'm going to do the practice. I'm going to be there for my boys. And I remember signing up for the class, which was in downtown Chicago. And I live about 40 minutes away. Right now, it's horrible traffic. So it probably would take me two hours. But in general, it's about a half hour, 40 minute uh, ride from my house at that time to the city. And I drove all the way down. And I kept thinking about the papers I would have to write and the internship I would have to do and all the things that I'm sure you have done. So you have my respect and admiration beyond. And I went, I just don't think I can do this. So I'm going to have to figure out how to make a living without a PhD. And mm-hmm. I had called the, the funny part was I had called the admissions person. They had one spot left in this because this was like in August and the class started September 1st or something. And I drove all the way down. This is before cell phones. I drove all the way home. I called up. I never even walked in the building and said, you know, I I can't really do this. So anyone to me that goes on for that kind of higher education, I say yippee for, you know, I think that's really like admirable. So good. So good for you. So your your intuition was correct. It is a brutal, brutal process. It was. Okay. So while, while you're going through this brutal process, how did you like, what was going on inside that you could kind of keep going and think like, okay, this is going to end up in something good. Um, it never, again, <laughs> I don't mean to, to be pessimistic. It never sound, it never felt that way. In fact, wow. I, um, I, I was pretty sure I was not going to be able to find an academic job because wow. my, my area of study was so niche. I was housed in a philosophy department, so it wasn't a psychology PhD. Um, I was okay. looking critically at the field of psychology and, and researching, um, you know, methodology and, and, and all sorts of things around mental illness and the way that we you know, understand that. And, um, so I, I took a life coach certification course oh, okay. in, the, in about the middle of my PhD, because I thought, 
okay, this is a way that I can practice, have a, have a small practice. And if I don't get a job, maybe I can make that practice a full time thing. Why, why does that just knowing you for 10 minutes, why does that not surprise me that <laughs> while you're taking your PhD, you thought I'll throw oh, yeah. in some life coach certification, right. but go ahead. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I did that and I started working with clients, which was amazing because I was working with people, you know, in, on a research perspective, I had started, you know, doing some interdisciplinary research with psychologists. So we were working mm -hmm. with research participants. And then I was also working with people as clients and that really fueled my forward motion. I don't think uh -huh. I would have been able to keep going if I hadn't been so inspired by the people that I was working with. Okay. Um, because I just kept thinking we have to do this better. We have to get this right. There are so many ways in which we are messing up when it comes to helping folks who are dealing with trauma and yep. we've, got to, we've got to figure it out. So then, then I started to kind of like, I guess, come together a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. But there was always this sort of disconnect between, you know, academics don't really respect life coaches. And so I, I, that's why I'm laughing. I'm thinking yeah. you're doing this incredibly difficult program. And I, we're all I support life coaches. Matter of fact, I think the last person and guess we had was a life coach and she's amazing. But for your where you are, the two don't generally intertwine or connect and, or, or like you said, they're, they're not exactly respected life coaches in, uh, at least it doesn't sound like no. from my own, my own observation of academia. Mm -hmm. No. So anyway, so, but you did it. Yep. So I did it and it, and I had to kind of, you know, compartmentalize and keep those two worlds separate, um, mm -hmm. for the most part. And, um, I thought of it as, you know, necessity. I can work with clients that they can help me understand trauma better. You know, this is, and this helps financially because, you know, when you're going through a PhD program, you're thinking about money as well. And of course, right. And always a practical um, component when we're right. looking for our purpose, we still have to eat and yep. have a roof over our head. Yeah, yep, yep, totally. And even, you know, when I was, I got a tenure track job and when I was, I was working full-time, you know, as a professor, I, I still had to compartmentalize the life coaching over here. And, um, mm -hmm. did you because, not like, did you keep it a secret? Did you not tell your colleagues? No, it wasn't a secret. It's just, it wasn't something that I, that I led with, you know, in academic okay. conferences or something like that. You know, How do you not, do? I do have a PhD in 8 million things, but also I'm a life right. coach. <laughs> Ta -da. No. Um, no, maybe no. Okay. Uh, I Probably guess I not. didn't advertise it, but it, was, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a, you know, a secret a secret. Um, and then I was working with research participants again and having to keep those two worlds separate. And then in 2020, I thought, okay, I have research, I have, um, research with participants and then research about, you know, the nature of trauma from these three mm -hmm. different fields and, um, these client stories. And why don't I bring them together and write a book that is going to appeal to people who are not in an academic audience, but, um, uh -huh. kind of everyone else because I had written two academic books, but you know, academic books are very siloed and expensive and right. And the average and, person is not going to read them. Right. They're I mean, written in being honest, probably not. Yeah. Right. Right. Nor should they, because they're terrible because they're written in <laughs> academic jargon. And right. I other didn't want to say they were terrible. I just yeah, sorry. Would, I would be bored to death and <laughs> yeah. probably, and probably even though I think I'm very bright, would not understand a word, but so go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's where this, this, uh, most recent book that I just published unbroken, the trauma response is never wrong came out of that. And so that is really when the paths started to fuse Merge. together. And now mm -hmm. it's like, this is what I do try to teach in, in different platforms on TikTok and oh. in the classroom and, you know, and on all these spaces so that we can get this information out, um, to as many people as possible because healing from trauma isn't actually rocket science, but mm -hmm. we just haven't updated everyone with the scientific information. 
Okay. So now, so you, so if I'm getting this you're you are a professor at somewhere where, where did you say where you, where you teach? Yeah. I teach at two places, um, oh. Old Dominion University and College of the Holy Cross. Mm-hmm. So those are both, you're still in Massachusetts then? Uh, one's in Massachusetts and one is in Virginia. So I teach online right now. Oh, okay. Well, because yeah. when you said 2020, I went, well, that was COVID. So uh, that you yeah. kind of rearranged a little bit how yeah. you taught and yep. communicated with people. So as we yep. all did. Yep. yep. Um, so, so you, is that when you wrote the book right around then or? Yep. Yep. I got the, um, the con the book contract at the end of 2020, I already started writing it and I wrote uh, most of it in 2021, which was an eerie thing because we were living through a global yes. trauma as I was oh. writing. So yeah, uh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying is that yeah. did you write this book while the entire wor- country world is already in trauma. Like we can't live our house. People are dying. What the heck are we doing yeah. here? Yeah. How do we get through this? Will we ever get through this? Yeah. You know, yeah. cause we all can remember the first, like, Oh, we'll be, we have to stay home for two weeks. It won't be that big of a deal. And then it's like, oh, well, now it's two months. All right. Now it's six months. And what, yeah. the, how long is this going on for? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So was, yeah. Yeah. So that was hard. All right. So now, now, so now you feel like you fuse them together and mm-hmm. you feel like, okay, this is something that you can feel on the inside. Like this is what I really want to do and I'm meant to do. Yeah. Just to continue teaching, continue working with clients and continue writing and getting out information on trauma and grief and these things that we tend to turn away from because okay. we, we can't. Right. All right. So let's get, let's give one in case anyone's listening, who's going through some yeah. kind of trauma or grief. Like what, when you think about, this is one of the best things I do to kind of help people who are going through this. What, like, what, what would you give? Keep mm-hmm. in mind, average listener, nobody who's mm-hmm. an academic, I don't think sure, anybody's an academic is necessarily listening, but if you are welcome, we are happy to have all listeners. Um, so like, what would you offer as some good advice? I think the first thing, the most important thing is that we understand that the trauma response is a natural set of responses that we are born with and we have adapted mm-hmm. through evolution. And that even though the symptoms of trauma can be really upsetting, that the trauma response is not actually a sign of weakness or disorder. It's a sign of strength. And that's Ah. not my opinion. That's biological fact. So I think when we begin there, we are less likely to shame ourselves when we're less likely to shame ourselves for the responses or the emotions that we're having or the timeline we're having them in, then we are less likely to go to war with ourselves. And when we're less likely to go to war with ourselves, then we're more likely to heal. Love that. Love that. There's a a whole new, uh, well, it's not that new, but really there's, I I don't know how I always get on these things that come in through my either Instagram or whatever. I'm I'm a voyeur more than a Mm -hmm. poster, but whatever. Um, I guess if you like something, then they know, and then they send you more stuff on that topic. So I don't know. I I started reading more stuff just about Mm self-compassion and basically that's true in almost every area of our life. So if you have anxiety or, um, you know, like I have this gastro stuff or whatever is that Mm -hmm. instead of yelling at yourself, Mm -hmm. like I should be, I should, and I use that in quotes, handling this in a certain way. Instead, you're like, Hey, I'm having a human experience here and I'm allowed to, and I have feelings about that. And Mm -hmm. whatever the trauma is, it could be something big. It could be something small. It doesn't matter if it Mm -hmm. felt traumatic to you, like you just broke up with your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was sudden, or you found them cheating or whatever. I'm not saying those things aren't horrible, but they're not usually as horrible as death or a kid dying or, you know, things that are just so unbelievably horrible Um, or war, whatever the horrible things are, illness and that that you're allowed to have those feelings and not to run away from them, that you, Mm -hmm. you 
go towards them with compassion and love is kind of what I think you're saying. Yeah. And not only are you, you know, it's not just that you're allowed to have the emotions, but that you have to emotions are biological experiences. You can't opt out. So you have two options. You can feel the feelings and accept them, or you can go to war with them and then feel them a lot longer. Love that. You know, I tell, I, as I said, this. my, if I've told you how many times I've said those exact, not exactly that mm-hmm. way, but I love how you're saying it is that no, we have our, I, I say it this way, not in a neuroscience way. I feel our feelings are the pathway to our soul and to our truth. And mm-hmm. so if we run, we're running from ourselves and mm-hmm. they will not go away quietly. So they will just chase even harder and faster and more vehemently and you will be miserable and feel nauseous. And I, I feel when that has happened in my life before I became a little bit more evolved, I literally would be sick to my stomach. So I'm sure there are probably our physiological symptoms. Mm -hmm. If you don't pay attention, Have, have you noticed that yourself? Oh, completely. And the, you know, the stress response is, um, it causes inflammation in the body. And so when this, when you're chronically, so we're designed to have little blasts of stress and then get that stress out. And so sometimes I say, you can think of stress hormones, like herding dogs. If you've ever had a herding dog, you need that. I actually did. I had a Puli, a Hungarian sheepdog. And oh, did I love that dog? So you I know, digress. Go ahead. You have to get that, that dog has a certain amount of energy and you have to get that energy out or what happens? Yeah. Oh, I mean, just a crabby dog, <laughs> crabby dog and or might destroy the house. Right. It's the destructive could, behavior could, could, tear, could tear up your couch. Mm-hmm. That might have happened. And this is a long time ago, but I, I yes. So stress hormones are the same thing. They need they need a they need a job. You need to complete the stress cycle. So we're designed to have little blasts of stress, do something with the stress and then move on. Um, mm-hmm. When we have chronic stress, because, you know, we have chronic trauma or there's an underlying thing that's not being dealt with you then have chronic inflammation and that can lead to the breakdown of all of the systems in your body. So you can start having pain, headaches, gastrointestinal issues, Uh skin issues, Uh um, insomnia, all sorts of other things. Um, And that will continue and usually worsen until you kind of deal with the, the underlying issue. Yeah. Right. So what you're saying, which I totally agree with is that we, when, when, we're feeling whatever the stress of our life is that if we just say, Oh, it'll be okay. Or whatever, have four glasses of wine or something else that may not be to our best interest. Um, Mm -hmm. that that's, that might be fine for that 10 minutes, but then the next day it'll come back in even more aggressively. And like you said, tear Mm -hmm. up the house, which is Mm -hmm. our own internal, whatever, everything, our body, our mind, our soul. So, So one of the things you do is you help the person go towards the feelings. And so that's one thing you'd recommend. Mm -hmm. Um, And how do they, how do they do that? When you say that the stressor needs some attending to, like, Mm -hmm. can you give it a a concrete example of what that might look like? Um, Yeah. So I think just to kind of step back a little bit, I think one of the things that I like to make sure that clients have an understanding of is the way that the stress response works in their body, because our bodies are barometers. Your body is telling you all day long what you need, what's going on when it's overwhelmed. And because of the way that we exist in the, in the Western world in this moment, we become very detached from that. We're taught to become very detached from that. And we see, instead of seeing the body as a barometer, that's giving us important information, we see it as something that has to be controlled or managed. And so I think, you know, step one is to figure out what does it look like when you feel relaxed? Mm -hmm. What does it look like when you feel energized? What does Mm -hmm. it look like when you feel overwhelmed? What does it look like when you're, when you've collapsed? Mm -hmm. And if you start to understand those things, then you can figure out because 
at each of those different spaces, you're going to need different tools to modulate your nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so I think I like to try to arm clients with a basic idea of what's going on in the nervous system so that they can understand their bodies and when their body is feeling overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So rather than shame yourself for it, you notice it, accept it, and then know what to do to intervene on those systems. So, right. So let's say the person understands that they're overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. They've now seen you several times and they think, oh, MC is so fabulous. She (laughs) helped me figure out what's going on. And I know that when I'm overwhelmed, I don't know, my heart palpitates Mm -hmm. and I get sweaty. Yep. I'm guessing might be a common thing. Um, For sure. So what would you like to help them not have heart palpitations and sweat? Mm -hmm. What like do you have them do deep breathing or like what's um Yeah. So I would give them, um, there's two ways you can regulate the nervous system from the top down, which is when you use your blood flow and electrical activity to kind of re recalibrate what's going on Mm -hmm. in your brain. Um, so distraction methods are really great there. So, um, and a lot of us are very comfortable with these because they are readily available in our society. Love it. Watch a movie. You watch watch an episode of breaking, well, I've already watched breaking bad. But whatever, watch an episode of whatever again. Yeah, right. Um, And, you know, one of the things that's actually best studied, which is going to it's going to make you laugh is the game Tetris, because Tetris makes a continuous bid on your visual cortex. And so if you play, I know know there's a movie that I haven't watched. So maybe the movie's great. The movie's great. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, it's very gripping. Um, But so if you're playing Tetris or you're doing something that you feel comfortable and relaxed doing, but also distracted, you're going to modulate what's going on in your brain, which you know, over 20 to 60 minutes, will get the alarm system in your brain to quiet down because you wouldn't be playing Tetris or watching a movie if something was really happening. Mm -hmm. The um, breathing is the same kind of thing, but it just goes in the, in the other direction. So that's bottom up regulation. Okay. So if you lie on the floor on your back, um, and have your knees, you know, your feet flat on the floor. So your knees are up. If you take Mm -hmm. some breaths, you'll notice that the breaths go to sort of the center of your torso, which Mm -hmm. is where your diaphragm is. And if you take three to six deep breaths into your diaphragm, um, you, you push against the vagus nerve, which is in charge of the rest response right. or the rest digest response in your body. I, and, and that will help calm you down. Yeah. Okay, good. I, there's a, there's a whole video. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I, One of my clients, I don't know, the vagus nerve became in yep. my orbit maybe in the last year. I don't know why, which yeah. I didn't know that much about. So now, so I figured I better learn something about it because a client of mine was tele- talking to me about it. So you can go online just saying, and they have, there's this one gal that does, you know, uh, you put your head a certain way and you look up this way and you look up that way. And then you, there's some tan, whatever. They're very, very easy. Mm-hmm. So I tried them myself and I have to say they're, they immediately or very quickly calm you down from whatever might be mm-hmm. upsetting you. And again, it doesn't have to be the most horrific thing. It could be anything, you know? Right. So, um, and they're online and they're easy really easy exercises like the one you just mm-hmm. recommended. I think that's an easy one. Obviously I feel really good that you just said it really is helpful to go ahead and watch a TV show. It is. Not that it I is. need, not that I need permission, <laughs> but now I feel even better about myself that now uh, a PhD said that's a good thing to do. So excellent. All yep. right. So when you're doing all this and you're giving, uh, you know, you're doing your talks, whether it be by TikTok or, you know, what, however you're doing it, at your school, at the two schools. I mean, you're a busy, busy person. Mm-hmm. Can you feel inside like, yes, I'm on my purpose. I mean, what's like, yeah. what does that yeah. feel like for you? No, yeah, I feel like I was, I think I was put on this earth to help us understand the trauma response and have less shame about the mm-hmm. way that we're feeling. Um, and so 
I feel very aligned when I am okay. trying to help people understand what's going on and, and to feel less shame about their responses. Mm-hmm. So you on your own inside, then you feel calm and I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. I feel energized usually. Okay. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no, you seem like that. So that's yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I always like, you know, um, to ask any guests, mm-hmm. like, so what, when you think about, um, whoever's listening and they're struggling, cause a lot of the, I feel like a lot of the people that listen are like, I want to do my purpose, but I don't know yeah. what the heck it is. I don't know how to figure it out. And if I do do it, whatever it is, that means I'm going to have to disrupt my family or I'm going to have to just, mm-hmm. I'm just going to have to disrupt myself. I don't know. Any, any recommendations just even on a neuroscience point of view, like that you would give to them about like, like everything that you did, sounds like it was not an easy path. You had a, there were a lot of bumps in the road. You continued on and continued on until you got to where you are now, which is good. I mean, it sounds Mm -hmm. like you feel really good about what you're doing. You feel like you're on your purpose. You're on your path. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on how to help someone who's like struggling? Like they're like, Oh, I just can't do it. You know, I think one of the things we have to let go of a little bit is, is these hierarchies that we create around everything. Like if you don't, if it, sometimes I think we have this idea that if our purpose doesn't serve a billion people, or if our purpose isn't this huge thing, that's going to cause us to blow up our whole lives, then it's not worthy. And I think your purpose is anything where you find yourself. I've been thinking a lot about alignment lately Mm -hmm. and I need a better metaphor for it because the only thing I can think of is like car. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I get that because our cars sometimes need alignment. Right. You know, so we got to get those wheels aligned. I get it. Yeah. Right, right, right. But the idea is that like, I think a lot of the human job, the, the task here is to figure out how to get in alignment with yourself and what that feels like. And I think when yep. you're, for me, when I'm in alignment, I have a lot of energy. There's a lot of mm-hmm. forward motion. There's not a lot of doubt or depression or anxiety, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can find the things that are, that feel like they're in alignment with you and, and mm-hmm. you'll know what that feels like, because you won't feel a lot of anxiety, you'll feel a lot of exactly. energy, then that's your purpose. And I, it can be Love anything. It. I think it can be that. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just saying, I have said that so many times to people, you know, back when I first um, had my other office, doesn't matter they had a cleaning service and there was one of the people that was cleaning and Mm -hmm. she loved to clean. I mean, she was like the happiest, cheerfulest person. And I ended up hiring her to come clean my house also. Mm -hmm. And I, and I always thought of her like, it doesn't matter if you love it. Like I have someone right now who I work with, um, who not not professionally, she's a friend of her, doesn't matter, but she was a teacher and had a great job and whatever. And she just loves organizing. Mm -hmm. And and so she did that on the weekends. And I had her come about two years ago when I wasn't home to redo my closet, which is a disaster, was a disaster. I'm about ready to have her come back because it's a disaster again. (laughs) You know, I'm not her. And I'm going to have her come back probably soon in the next month or so. Um, And she made the decision. She loves it. Like Mm -hmm. what to me causes me angst to fold things. I I like it neat, Mm -hmm. but it gives me like, uh, no, I I can't do that. She loves it. And now she's making it a business. Mm -hmm. So um, Mm -hmm. it it can be anything, anything. So I totally agree. And that to me is being aligned. Just what you're saying. Right. Cause you, it's the thing you go back to and you're like, Oh, I love this. This is what I want to do in my free time. This is what I want to do when I'm not working. I'm doing this on the weekend. 
And then you're starting to wonder, could I ever make this a full-time thing? You know, and then that's like, okay. And and then the answer, believe me, usually almost always is yes. If you put the time and energy and work into it, first of all, it doesn't feel like it's even that much work because you're doing something that you absolutely love. Mm -hmm. So it might be work getting there, Mm -hmm. but it's like, even when I started my practice, I mean, this is a zillion years ago, I knew I loved doing it, but oh my Mm -hmm. God, until I got it going and whatnot and Mm -hmm. oh, please. Um, And so, but I love it. I mean, I've been doing it now for 41 years and you know, I, I don't, well now I'm kind of working part-time, but um, yeah. So, but I, I'm, I'm happy to report that. And I think people know this. I still love what I do and I always feel so sad. So I I feel I'm in alignment. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just feel so sad for people who are out there and they're just doing drudging along. Mm -hmm. They hate their job or they're unhappy in their relationship or whatever. And I'm thinking, no, be brave, be courageous listen to yourself. There's something more for you. And you know, a great way to start if you're really deep in it, in that, in that, like you, you know, your job is soul sucking and everything is terrible is to remember what, like three or four things that you absolutely loved when you were a kid and Mm. start doing those things again, Mm -hmm. start riding your bike, start, take a dance class, do Mm -hmm. these, you know, and those aren't might, you know, those things might not end up being your purpose, but that will connect you back with, who you were before your, yeah, before your soul started getting sucked out by your stupid, terrible job. (laughs) I I agree. Oh, well, MC, you're amazing. I might have to, thank you. You know, and I might have to, I probably will get your book. Um, Sounds (laughs) like it's really, really good. I mean, because it sounds like it's not just for anyone who's had a horrible, horrible loss. It's for anybody that has anything and we all have something. Yeah. You know, it's funny people, I think people forget that the S in PTSD is, you know, stands for stress. Right. So if any of the tools that are in the book and each chapter has a tool or two at the end of each chapter um, will also work if you're stressed out. So, and who's not, who's not, I, mean, I know who's not, I am. I mean, I write this very second, but <laughs> there's stuff. I I mean, yeah, totally. whatever. I mean, there's always, there's always, I was just telling Noah um, when I travel, it's always a little stressful for me because I'm. <laughs> this goes back to my organization problem is that I'm a terrible <laughs> packer and that I feel I have to have have everything. So that causes me now, is that the worst stress in the world? But I have to, but it is stressful. It is stress. But, yeah. And yeah. ahead of time, I have to do a little, mm-hmm. just what you're describing. I do deep breathing. I say, it's okay. If you don't have yeah. exactly what you want, you can't fit every, especially if I take a carry on, which is what I'm going to do for, I'm going to New York for a few days. And I, I did do it. I just was in Denver. So I was quite proud of myself. I took a carry on and I was fine. Everything mm-hmm. was fine. I was good. It was, I was happy that I didn't have a big, if anyone's who ever been to Denver airport, you could shoot yourself. Talk about a stressful situation. I have cried take, in the Denver airport more than I have cried any other place. I mean, you can't find anything. You have to take a train to everywhere. And it's a very big airport and very confusing and whatever. But yeah. that being said, um, yeah, I, I do have to do a little preparation ahead of time to reduce the stress. So it doesn't matter. So the book is called mm-hmm. Unbroken yep, by the- Mary Catherine McDonald. I think people should get it. Okay, I end each, first of all, thank you. This was so informative. Thank you for sharing your story as well as some tips. So here was the quote. I always end with a quote. Um, Life is never made unbearable by our circumstances, but only by the lack and meaning and purpose of those circumstances. By That was by Viktor Frankl, who... For those who don't know, he was uh, in the Holocaust. I've used his quotes before because I love him because talk about he was like in Mm -hmm. a concentration camp. So he had the most horrible circumstances you could possibly imagine. And within that environment, he still found hope and purpose. Mm -hmm. And then he got out and wrote a million, not a million, Mm -hmm. but several books and became like the guru on finding purpose in traumatic Mm -hmm. situations. So I'm sure you are familiar with him. Mm -hmm. 
Well, this has been a pleasure meeting you and getting to know you. And um, I think you have so many good things to say. So thank thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely to meet you. A pleasure. A pleasure. Okay. Well, that was really, really good. Thank you, MC. Um, So this is Janice Alford uh, with On Purpose. Hopefully you're doing your purpose or trying to find it and even maybe doing it on purpose. So until next time, um, take good care. Bye-bye. 